0: seems to get darker and darker when your prayers continue to go unanswered, um, and it seems as if uh, God does not hear, or as uh, many of the Puritans would say, the, it seems as if the heavens are brass, and there's there's no getting through, as if your words are just bouncing off the clouds and, and almost uh, seems as if your prayers are futile. This is, in a sense, where David is at. But here in this, this psalm, it, it, it's, it's a short psalm, but we see uh, as many of his psalms, there, there is, uh, David seems to be on the roller coaster of emotions, of up and down, of highs and lows, of frustrations, of um, exaltations, uh, of anger, of bitterness, of uh, all sorts, the whole range of human emotions. But I, I think this psalm, Probably more than many of the others, we see this drastic range of emotions from uh, the beginning to the end. As, uh, he even begins with, uh, how long? How long? How long? And as uh, my Bible says, and I'm sure many of your Bibles say, we have this uh, in the uh, a superscription, or, or even not, not even in the what is uh, the inspired superscription, but above that, you might have something that says, "Oh, how long, o, o God," or "How long, O Lord," or "How long, O Yahweh." Alan Ross, in his commentary on the Psalms, he writes this about this psalm. He says, "This the distinctive feature of this psalm is how long, or in the Hebrew, it says until when." The expression receives emphasis in the psalm by its position in each sentence and by its repetition. Four times in this lament section is it used, making it clear that the psalmist had been oppressed for some time by his enemies. And for some time, God had not responded to his prayer. The expression, how long, O Lord, is a rhetorical question intended to lament the fact that God has not delivered him. The sentence, sentence is incomplete, it is broken off before finishing the idea of how long until God delivers him. And then he says that that in, in Hebrew, breaking off of a sentence is a way of expressing extreme emotions. But God knows precisely what the afflicted mean when they cry out, how long, O oh Lord? And sometimes, as I've uh, said before, I believe it was last week, that sometimes... Um, the shortest prayers can be the most significant, or the most impactful, or the most um, heart-wrenching. The help, O oh Lord, or help, uh, just you know, help me, help me, help me. Uh, this is, in a sense, uh, where David is at. How long, O oh Yahweh? How long, O oh God? And, and he elaborates on that, but we we see this this crying out. To him, and, and as we look at this psalm, and I'm sure um, sometimes as we look at the psalter, even uh, how uh, uh, the certain publishers of each translation they they may space it out, and they space it out according to the stanzas, and that's usually the the break in the psalm um, as we see these six verses broken up into. Uh, Three parts of two verses each, and that's exactly how it is uh, thematically, grammatically. And so that's how we see it. That's how we're going to look at it. In this psalm, we, in a sense, see three main expressions. Three main expressions of David as he's going through this trial. As in many of these, these psalms, we don't know precisely what trial, but we know uh, a bit of the life of David and, and his ups and downs and his trials. And we see his heart here as he lays out his heart before God. And he lays out his heart in first his protest, then his plea, and then his proclamation. That's how we'll look at it. First, his protest in verses 1 and 2. How long, O Yahweh, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy... Be exalted over me, and I say protest. Uh, firstly, I, you know I, you all know I try to alliterate as most preachers do. It's it's a, a mnemonic device. It, it helps you understand it, uh, the sermon. It helps you to uh, to remember. But there's a certain sense that as as David is in a sense complaining to to God, and he's protesting, and it just reminds me of, you know, my father-in-law, most of you have met, and, and uh, many of our children when they were very young, and he'd hold them or try to feed them, and they'd be crying as an infant. And uh, he'd say, oh, protest, protest, <laughs> protest. <laughs> and they'd be crying and crying. It, it, it just reminds me, because this is essentially what David is doing to God. He's, he's, pro, he's crying like a baby. He's protesting, protesting uh, about his circumstances, uh, about what's going on. And, and here in these first two two verses, we see his protest in, in, in two main categories. First, he protests in relation to his God. He protests that 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 God has forgotten him, it, 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 and it's interesting that that he would use that language to to uh, uh, Almighty all-knowing, omnipotent, omniscient God, and, and he himself knows that. He would even speak about God's omniscience in, in uh, Psalm 139 and, and other psalms, uh, speaking that, that God knows everything. He, he's everywhere. He sees everything. He, he's created everything. And yet he protests here that God has forgotten him. But also that God has, is, is hiding himself from him. How long will you hide your face from me? And here we get this, this sense of this, this relationship, this, this intimacy. Uh, many times throughout the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, we get this, this picture of this intimacy with being uh, face-to-face with God. And yet at the same time, we know as, as God told Moses, no, no man shall see my face and live. Yet there's, there is this, uh, David is also using this uh, human uh, language uh, uh, concerning God, uh, almost a, what uh, this term, an anthropomorphism of of putting uh, hu- uh, human characteristics on God or speaking of Him in terms of human characteristics and human relationships, that that God has forgotten Him as as uh, 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 Old uh, best friend and just has shut him off, uh, 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 shut himself off against David, so that he's he's no longer his best friend. He, he's hiding himself from him. David, in a sense, he's he's uh, expressing that that he no longer experiences the comforting presence of God. And, and there's there's maybe several reasons for that. Um, there's a an. Uh, uh, a principle in, in which um, a, a believer, in, in their sin, they 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 separate themselves from God, or God separates himself from the the believer. The you don't experience uh, that that closeness or that relationship. Your your uh, relationship with God is is hindered, and it's in a sense uh, uh, broken to a certain degree because of your sin. As even uh, God would say to his people, to Israel, your your sin has made a separation between you and your God. And so that, that, that may be the sense that, that David is in sin. And certainly in, in his expressions towards Yahweh, it shows a bit of unbelief, a bit of frustration, of grumbling, of complaining, of just uh, faithlessness. And so you could... See some sin in David's heart. Uh, It may imply some significant sin in his life, but nonetheless he feels distant from God. And so he protests. He protests first in relation to his God, and second, in relation to his circumstances. Verse 2, How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? He protests that he has no one to confide in, no, no one to, to seek help from or, or counsel from as, as in a sense we we as believers and, and uh, uh, especially uh, the Israelites and and, uh, and, and any uh, faithful believer is, is supposed to first and foremost seek counsel from God in his word and in prayer. All our answers... Uh, uh, Come from God. Wisdom comes from God. And yet he feels so distant from God that he has to take counsel within his own soul. He has to uh, uh, talk to himself and, and, and seek the answers within himself. Which is the the last place we should go for counsel. Because the heart is deceitful and wicked. As we read in Jeremiah 17.9. That... that we should be the last person that we go to for counsel. And, and as we, this is a part of depression. Um, depression looks inward. Despair looks inward. Despair is a woe is me. It starts with bad circumstances, but then it goes to a woe is me. And then it turns inward on itself. And depression is, in a sense, a self-obsession. And that starts the downward spiral of You know, this is hard. I'm not going to get out of this. No one likes me. And and it just goes down and down and down. When we're called to focus on God and focus on others and be outward outward focused, not on ourselves. But he focuses inward. He turns himself inward. And then he he protests um, concerning those around him, concerning the situation, how... How, how long uh, will my enemy be exalted over me? And, and there's this, uh, this sense that, that um, as he's protesting to God about his situation, there is a sense as, that David, as the king, but also just as an Israelite, but um, that his enemies are God's enemies by virtue of being, uh, being the king, but also by virtue of being uh, an Israelite. That that uh, his enemies are God's enemies, and so he protests about his enemies to God, that that God would uh, deliver him. And, and as we go through this psalm and many of the psalms, we have to remember as we think about David and uh, that David is a type and a foreshadow of Christ. And, and there's many of his psalms that. Will allude to Christ as the greater king. Uh, we have uh, messianic psalms, uh, things like psalms such as Psalm 2 and Psalm 22. Um, and, uh, but all throughout the Psalter, there, there will be, we'll see uh, hints or a uh, uh, foreshadowing of Christ. And as we look at David and, and him crying out, How long, oh Yahweh, how long? It makes it makes me think immediately of, of Jesus crying out to God and 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 David uh, who wrote Psalm twenty two, and and, uh, uh, and and Jesus quotes this, and I don't think Jesus uh, quoted it just to quote it, but it, it was heartfelt. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my salvation are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I call by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. This is where David's at. This is, in a sense, uh, what Jesus felt on the cross, this abandonment, this separation, and this sorrow. David speaks of this sorrow in his heart. And as uh, we think of Christ, we, we think of the fact that he was a man of sorrows. As Isaiah 53 says, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our peace fell upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And there is a sense, as, just as David, I think, um, in Psalm 22 uh, is speaking of, of Christ, and, and, and certainly um, he was in a trial there as well, I think this kind of points towards the man of sorrows as well, here in the beginning of Psalm 13. David is pouring out his heart and uh, just speaking about this abandonment, uh, this uh, heart wrenching trial. And so he starts with his protest. And then, second, we see his plea. His plea in verses 3 and 4 Look and answer me, O Yahweh, my God. Give light to my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy says I have overcome him, and my adversaries rejoice that I am shaken. He goes from his complaint and his lament, his protest, to his plea, to his petition. And, and as we look at this psalm, uh, there, there's in a sense that many psalms and, and many prayers take this form that that we uh, can go to God and, and lay out the situation, uh, bear our heart before him, and, and just, in a sense... Uh, Lay out our complaint before him. Uh, cast our cares upon him, and then, and then we move from that into our petition, our need, our specific need, and, and, and then, um, as we see, David will do his proclamation of of God's faithfulness at the end. But here in the middle, he gets to his plea, his plea for deliverance, uh, deliverance from silence and distance, as he says, "Look and answer me, O my." O Yahweh, my God, give light to my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. This sense that he is is uh, outcast, like he's been outcast, like he's been abandoned from God. He's far from God, and, and and not only that, but there's this sense of silence. He's asking that that God would would look upon him, would answer him, would would in a sense uh ...draw him nearer back to himself... ...so that he could have that intimate relationship with God again... ...so that God would hear him... ...to deliver him from silence and darkness... ...from, from this distance. He says uh, that he would, in a sense, uh, see... ...that he would see once again. Give light to my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Help me to see your goodness... I think of of this illustration of God in a sense being light, and, and giving light to us through His Word and, and through Himself. Also think of this this illustration of light and darkness, and especially in this season. You know, trying moving here and and uh, trying to explain to my family a, a little bit about uh, seasonal depression. <laughs> something with which they have not experienced uh, so much before in California, in Southern California. But here we have seasonal depression. And in many parts of the country, you have seasonal depression, and especially where it's not only cold and darker, but it can be gloomy. It can be gloomy. I, I remember uh, the, the uh, last winter... Um, I spent in Michigan before I moved out to California. I, I believe it was uh, 2009 through t- 2010. Um, I remember there was a period. Of, I think I went about three months without seeing the sun. And part of that, I, I was, uh, you know, inside a lot. So it could be that during the times inside, the sun did come out for a little bit. But it seemed like every time I was outside, it was gloomy, overcast, and just felt depressed. A sense of there's no light, and just we we need light, and, and there's this spiritual sense that we need light. We we need to to know that God is there. We we need to to see His light, and, and through His Word, as as uh, many other Psalms would say that that God's Word is light. He is light. David calls out to Him to give light to my eyes. Uh, through your presence, through answering my prayers. And, and if you don't answer my prayers, if you don't draw me close, if you don't deliver me, then I will sleep the sleep of death. And So he, 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 he pleads for deliverance from silence and distance, from darkness and, and deliverance from death. But his plea is, is not just for deliverance, but for dignity as well we see verse 4 he says lest my enemy sa- says I have overcome him and my adversaries rejoice that I am shaken it- it's almost as if he's saying saying you know it- it's okay God that you discipline me or that I'm going through this trial but but don't let my enemies boast in that don't let them uh, rejoice over that uh, save uh Save my, let, let me save some face. Let me save some dignity, some honor here. And so he pleads for dignity, for his dignity, that his enemy would not boast over his defeat, but ultimately uh, for God's dignity and his honor and his renown. That As I said before, that, that uh, David, being the king, but also being an Israelite, that his enemies are God's enemies. And so there is a sense that uh, if his enemies defeat him, especially as a king and especially a leading Israel, if his enemies defeat him, then they, in a sense, uh, defeat God or they rejoice over defeating God. They boast against God. And this is uh, throughout, um, is, is not just in the Bible, but throughout um, the ancient Near East and all the other surrounding countries. There was this, ancient Near East concept, this belief that in defeating a people, defeating a country, whether it was Assyria or Babylon or the Philistines or the other Canaanites or the Moabites or the Ammonites or the Amalekites, whoever it was, whatever people group, in defeating that people group and conquering them, you're also conquering your God, their God. And you're, in a sense, showing that your God is stronger than their God. And so there's a sense that, that as David is, is pleading for dignity he's, he's pleading for not only his dignity and honor and in, in, in God delivering him but for God's dignity, his honor, his renown, that, that the enemies of his people could not say that your God is weak and your God can, has no power to deliver you. And so he pleads for deliverance and for dignity. And then third is he's Rounding this out. And it's interesting that we'll see this as one commentator. And almost every commentator will allude to this. That that David shifts radically from one emotion to the next in this psalm. In just a short space of time. In just a couple of verses. And so he goes from his protest, his complaint. To his plea, his petition. And then to his proclamation, finally, his proclamation of God's faithfulness, of God's salvation, of of God's love, his proclamation of God's faithfulness and his grace. Verse 5, but I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to Yahweh because he has dealt bountifully with me. He proclaims God's faithfulness in verse 5. His loving kindness or his steadfast love, as some of your translations might say. This is that Hebrew word hesed, which is hard to translate. It's, it's often translated loving kindness or steadfast love. But it, it, it gets to the covenant love that God has for his people. That it's not just an overabounding love, but it also talks about faithfulness as well. That this, this faithfulness, this steadfast love that abounds and abounds forever because of his promises. His promises to love his people. And so David proclaims God's faithfulness in his loving kindness and his uh, faithfulness to then deliver and save and redeem Based upon his loving kindness, upon his covenant love for his people, says, "My heart shall rejoice in your salvation." In a sense, a looking future, Uh, uh, speaking uh, in a sense, uh, talking about his past trust, but almost as if it's a done deal that he will be saved, he will be delivered, and then he will rejoice. So he proclaims God's faithfulness and then he ends by proclaiming God's grace. His grace to save and his grace to provide. I will sing to Yahweh because he has dealt bountifully with me. And not only his grace to save and his grace to provide, but his grace to worship him in the midst of this trial. He proclaims that he's going to sing. And probably one of the hardest things to do in the midst of a, a painful trial is to actually sing. And, and, and yet that's a, that's probably one of the first things you should do.''re we, we're, we're, It's easy to go to prayer and, and prayer is one of the highest forms of worship, but we also need to sing. And sometimes you know we we hear these these great hymns that just speak to our hearts and our souls and and in the midst of, and there's many such hymns that it's it's hard for me to get through without tearing up and oftentimes we you know many of us have been there and and um, where we sing and, and we just in the middle we can't make it through the whole song through the whole hymn because we not only think of the trial, but we think of God's grace in the trial, of His faithfulness, of His love that we have not been trusting in. And so there's a sense of repentance, that we have not completely rested in Him and believed upon Him, and we're reminded through song of His grace, of His mercy, of His faithfulness. And notice how throughout this whole psalm, what's interesting is, is that there is no indication of his circumstances changing for the better throughout this whole psalm. But his outlook and his perspective on his circumstances has changed drastically for the better. And almost every commentator will draw this out in in how they look at this. uh, Study Bibles, whatever, will draw this fact out. that His circumstances, there's no indication that they've changed, but his emotions, his outlook, his perspective has changed. Dr. George Zemek, in his commentary, he outlines this psalm by saying that David will shift radically from turmoil to tranquility in the space of six short verses through three levels of attitude. In his first level, he says that David is below sea level in expressions of despair. And then he's at sea level in expressions of desire. And then he's at mountaintop level in expressions of delight at the end. And ultimately, this psalm illustrates for us the, the, the main takeaway, the main application is it illustrates for us the power of prayer and praise to God. Of how prayer and praise to God, um, it might not change our circumstances, but it changes us. It changes our outlook. And, and that, that's the main thing that prayer does when we pray we're not twisting God's arm God is going to do what he's going to do and yes he does answer prayer and he he promises to answer our prayer so his answer might not come in our time frame or even in our own life but what prayer does is it changes us it changes our outlook it changes our heart it's in a sense as we pray we are aligning our will with God's will and our heart with God's heart, and our mind with God's mind. This is why Paul says to Philippians in Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, "...be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus." Paul's telling the Philippians, D- don't be anxious or worried or fearful f- about anything. And that's probably, you know, that's a, that's a common besetting sin, anxiety, worry. You know, I, I think, you know, it, if I had nothing to worry about, then I'd have nothing to worry about. <laughs> then what would I do with myself? <laughs> you know, it's, it's anxiety and worry is so common. But the first thing we are to do is to take our anxieties, our worries, our fears, our frustrations and go to God in prayer. And, and even though our circumstances don't change, we change. And this is where we experience the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Where people in the world and everybody around us would be like, man, I, I would be an anxious wreck if I were you. But you seem to have peace and calm. We're Like, well, I know my God and he will handle it. And he'll take care of it, and he'll take care of me. Dr. William Barrick he explains this well in his commentary, and his application of Psalm 13. He says this, How should we respond to, feeling, to the feeling of being abandoned by God? Take our complaint to God directly. He is not offended by our questions and transparent feelings. Seek the fellowship of fellow believers in the services of the church. Being in the worship service, we will hear songs of praise to God even when our hearts are silent and feeling abandoned. Songs of praise will help clear our hearts and remind us that God has not actually abandoned us. He's not abandoned us. He knows exactly. He knows the end from the beginning and He is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And we also... Remember, as David is in a sense, um, as he is a type of Christ and foreshadows Christ, and and is almost in a sense, we get the, the sense of of him speaking of the man of sorrows. We remember what we read in Hebrews four, fifteen. We we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things like we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, he knows us. He knows our frame. He understands. He's able to sympathize with us. He, a, a, a bruised reed he will not break, and a, a smoking wick he will not snuff out. He understands us, and we can go to him, and he intercedes on our behalf, and we can always come to the throne of grace. Even when our hearts are filled with anger and bitterness and frustration, we might seem like, well, you know, my heart and my mind is just full of sin. Well, the first thing we need to do is to go to God with that, lay it out before him, and rest in him, because he knows. And this is what David does. This is exactly what David does, and this is the main application to follow this pattern of bearing our heart before God in prayer and resting in Him, bringing our petitions before Him, and then even in a sense proclaiming His steadfast love and His faithfulness even before He has delivered us, that He will deliver us. He will bring us through the trial and it may not be in this life, but if we have trusted in him, if we have hoped in him for salvation, we will see him face to face, and we will rejoice in his presence. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Psalter. We thank you for all these Psalms that just speak so pointedly to life in a broken and sin-cursed world. and if things don't go the way they're supposed to, they don't go our own way most of the time, We're so prone, so tempted to fear, worry, and anxiety, to frustration, which can lead to anger and bitterness if it's left unchecked. Lord, help us to be quick to confess, quick to repent, quick to pray and to praise and to sing and to lay out our heart before you, even if that's in a private place, in a closet where no one else sees Help us to be regular in our prayer life and to know that you care for us more than we could ever know. You are faithful, merciful. We thank you for your grace. Please be with us through the rest of the evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.